This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an awful kid. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that? Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 140 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host Matt Neglia. Time of recording is April 28th, 2019 at 11.14am. Here to join me for this podcast, I have Will Mavity. Hello, hello. Michael Schwartz. This is the endgame. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. And Casey Lee Clark. Hello, hello. All right, so if I snap my fingers right now, 50% of you are going to be vanished. The other 50% are going to remain. Who's it going to be? Well, we're five people, so we're, does that mean someone stays as a half? Yeah. Well, yeah that you lose like your that, torso. That assumes that not staying, though, right? <laughs> I am inevitable, okay? There we go. There we go. <laughs> There's one thing that you can always expect on the Next Best Picture podcast, and that's the inevitability that I will be here. So <laughs> I can't be vanished or snapped or dusted or whatever we're calling it nowadays. Uh, that is definitely a big topic of conversation for this week is Avengers Endgame and what it's doing at the box office, what it means for the industry right now. But also, too, in terms of things that are going on in the industry, holy hell, everybody, we actually got some significant changes from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And we're going to definitely go over uh, that this week for sure. Uh, We're also going to talk about the trailer for Gemini Man, starring Will Smith, directed by Ang Lee. But first and foremost, as per usual here on the podcast, I want to ask everyone what they have caught up on recently, either at home or in the movie theater. Let's start off with Will Mavity. I mean, the obvious, of course. Uh, You know, I saw Endgame. How many times? Once. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm just asking because I think, like, Nicole, didn't you see it like more than once? I've only seen it once this far, but I'm going to get on Thursday to see it in Dolby. Casey, have you seen it? I did. Gotcha. And Michael, you, you've you for sure seen it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, Matt. I, I went three times this weekend. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for your contribution towards the box office, Michael. I really appreciate that. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, anything for Marvel. But uh, seriously, <laughs> though, I did, I, I did not see Endgame this weekend. But you know what? I have heard from... Uh, my friends who have seen it, I asked them to fill me in because even though I'm not on the Marvel train, I want to know what's going on with this stuff just so I could stay relevant. And uh, no spoilers, of course, but if I had still been a big Marvel fan, I would have been very happy with the way that this movie turned out. I mean, Michael has to have something to talk about at the water cooler at his new job, right? So, <laughs> so he just like read the wiki summary. Yes, that's exactly what I did. And then I talked to my brothers who saw it. He hasn't seen Avengers Endgame. He doesn't watch Game of Thrones anymore. Michael, you're so out of touch with pop culture, man. What's good? Politics? <laughs> Roadshow. I guess politics, yeah. That that might be. Uh, yeah. But then again, who wants to discuss politics, right? <laughs> me, me. Unless if it's the politics of the Academy and God uh, damn it. this whole Netflix Steven Spielberg debate. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into all that, uh, did anybody here see anything other than Avengers Endgame? I, I saw. Did. Oh, Nicole, you go first. No, you go ahead. Yours is more exciting, Michael. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> okay, then that's a lot of pressure now. <laughs> I saw an advanced screening of a film that comes out late next month. 
And there was a lot of hype out of South by Southwest, so I was excited to go. And that is Booksmart, Olivia Wilde's film. So excited for this. And I have to say, I liked it quite a bit. I'll say that off the bat. On the next Best Picture scale, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. At the same time, I think I went in for some reason expecting like a new Ladybird and ended up just getting another super bad, which is fine. It was genuinely hysterical throughout. 100 minutes, I don't think a minute went by where I wasn't laughing at something. But, you know, it's just, you know, sort of light. It is what it is. And if you go in expecting just the genuinely fun summer comedy, this is what that's going to give you. Does it not have pathos? Like, I had heard... I think it's very sweet. But in the way that Superbad was sweet about this friendship between Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah's character. You know, they're on this journey together. And, you know, it's about the bond and the friendship and the two of them. But it's not so much more... There's no, like, Laurie Metcalf mother-daughter relationship like the heart that Lady Bird had they're just very different movies I thought this was going to be different from what it was but what it is is still very very good okay well I mean I'm very excited to see it I'm seeing it actually in a few days uh myself and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and Billy Lord I have to give credit to her uh Carrie Fisher's daughter we've seen her in like Star Wars and American Horror Story she is terrific here and I've also heard Beanie Feldstein is you know continuing on that track record of since you know Lady Bird of just you know, being a star to watch on the rise. She's everywhere. She was on Broadway and Hello, Dolly, and she pops up in uh, a few other movies and TV shows. This is her movie, her and... Uh, Caitlin Deaver. Yeah, Caitlin Deaver. She was great. Uh, yeah, really, really just a fun movie. I'm, uh, I'm excited because I'm seeing Noah Galvin, who is in Booksmart, uh, in his debut in the musical Waitress tomorrow. Oh, cool. Uh, I forgot he was in Waitress. Yep, yep. He is a very funny book smart. He only has about three scenes, but he like chews the scenery and really runs away with them. Uh, Nicole, what about you? What did you catch up on this week? Yeah. So um, since I guess last weekend, I went through Civil War, Age of Ultron and Infinity War in three days, which was good. God, a lot of those three definitely preferred Civil War. Uh, obviously then I saw Avengers Endgame on opening night. If you want to hear me talk about that, there's like over two hours of me doing that on our podcast episode. Uh, but also Monday while I was unpacking from having been home for the weekend, I put on one of the new Netflix movies, Someone Great, which has Gina Rodriguez from Jane the Virgin and Brittany Snow. And it's, it's one of those movies where I'm like, this isn't a great film. Like it's not anything really that impressive but it's also a really interesting movie about a breakup kind of in a way that I hadn't seen done before and also a really nice movie about female friendship um a little bit on the like raunchy rom-com side kind of feels somewhere in between a rom-com and a you know look what we did last night kind of thing um but kind of I'd say well worth having a watch if you're one of those people who likes to have stuff on in the background like I do cool awesome uh, I've been attending Tribeca uh, this week, the Tribeca Film Festival, and I, I haven't had a chance to see as many movies as I wanted to yet. I'm hoping to do some damage this week more so than last week. I rewatched my favorite film of 2019, which is Loose, and I need to reiterate again, and I know Will and Casey Lee Clark will uh, back me up here. Uh, this movie is phenomenal. It is so well acted, so well uh, written and just so intense all throughout the story. I've heard some people say that the story is maybe a little too um, over dramatized, which I, I just I, I don't I don't get that complaint. <laughs> but that's like that's like saying Avengers uh, Endgame is fan servicey. Like, do you just not like nice things? I, I don't understand that. <laughs> but uh, Loose is just incredible, and I'm I'm gonna just keep on harping on this over and over until more people get a chance to check it out. It is so so great. Um, but I also saw Skin with Jamie Lee Bell, Danielle McDonald, and who else was in it? Vera Farmiga and um our favorite character actor Bill Camp. Ah, uh, Bill Camp. Yeah, there was a lot definitely within this, and I can say. In my opinion, without hesitation, that this was better than the short. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a true story, right? Like, this is instead of just being shock value. It is. And I I didn't watch the short prior to seeing this. I actually watched the short after I saw it. I I, I had the perspective afterwards, and I can definitely understand all of the complaints about the short. I totally get it, even though it did win an Oscar. 
that's besides the point. Uh, I think the feature is better. I don't think the feature is a great movie, though. I still think it does have some flaws, um, but it's definitely a, an improvement. Let's put it that way. How's Jamie Bell? Um, maybe one of the best performances he's ever given, probably. Very transformative uh, in the sense that it's not just the tattoos. It's his whole demeanor and the physical presence that he conveys on screen. and. He has to go to some really emotional places, especially as the film be- uh, gets more intense as it goes along, because it's all about this skinhead neo-Nazi who's trying to basically break away from the life because he meets uh, Danielle McDonald's character. The, the, the issue I have with the movie, primarily over everything else, is that it's very formulaic, and I feel like I've seen this story before, and there's just nothing new in it. Fun fact, Skin is a very dark sequel to Billy Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you really you went there are you even surprised no not at all do we feel like Jamie Bell never really had his moment like after Billy Elliot he just never kind of took off in the way people expected remember when he was in King Kong like in a, just such a like a thankless Ooh. role do you know a Billy Elliot who did take off Tom Holland that is true yes, <laughs> yes. that is very true uh, okay so now moving on from what we all saw this week uh, well, well, Casey, did you see anything else besides Avengers Endgame or? No, it's been a busy week. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Be glad I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so moving on from uh, that, we're going to now talk about uh, the big news this week, which is every year the Academy Board of Governors gets together and they go over a couple of different things. Sometimes there's changes that are implemented. We all famously remember what changes were put in place last year, uh, even though I think that announcement came a little bit later in the year, if I recall correctly. Uh, but here we are, and we have a couple of big things to announce from uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So first and foremost, uh, about a certain category increasing its nomination count. Will, you've been such a huge proponent of this. I would gladly like to hear you say the good news pertaining to the makeup category. I and many others have been hounding the Academy since like 2005 to do this they are finally expanding the makeup and hairstyling category to five films like every other category, which they should have done years Woo! ago, but I'm glad it's now. And the shortlist is going from seven to ten now. So the, the bake-off will be exciting next year. Going to totally change up the race. Um, it does make me a little sad because I'll always wonder, wow, what movies could have factored into the race if they had just done this a little sooner? But better late than never. Well, let's actually bounce off of that for a second here and let's ask that question. Uh, so looking at the past couple of years, which films do you think that in a year of five do you think could have gotten nominations that missed out? I think Suspiria was probably close this yeah. year in Black Panther. I definitely think Black Panther was close. I think Stan and Ollie was close. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Panther definitely and then either Suspiria or Stan and Ollie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I remember, um, what was it? Was it the 2016? Yeah, the 2016 year where you had a man called Oove, Star Trek Beyond, Suicide Squad, which actually ended up winning the damn thing. And it's like they turned down the chance to nominate stuff like Hacksaw Ridge or Jackie, Jackie or Fantastic Beasts. I mean, they do that without fail, like 2013 and 2012. Um, oh, 2012 was outrageous. But two years in a row, pretty much. Everything people were predicting to be the three nominees didn't even make the short list. You know, like, yeah, I mean, like the obvious. Atlas. Yeah, but it was not the only one. I mean, like 2013, people thought maybe 12 Years a Slave and The yeah. Butler and Rush. American Hustle. Yeah. Oh, my God. American Hustle not getting in. I remember thinking to myself that that, that would be its one and only Oscar win if it had gotten in, probably. But, man. Yeah, no, it's really, really great to see that uh, we'll have this expansion now and we'll finally be able to let go of this resentment we've had towards this category because I do feel like <laughs> I feel like us and every other Oscar podcast in the world, pretty much every time they talk about the makeup category, has to bring up as like an asterisk. Why can't they just bo- boost it up to five nominees? Why can't they just do mm-hmm. this? And maybe enough members of the Academy finally heard enough podcasts and were like, yeah, why are we not doing this? Hey, we should implement this. Let's do it. Yeah. It you know, it had to have been us. It's just silly that everyone, I mean, like yeah. literally every movie uses makeup more mm-hmm. movies than use visual effects. Ain't that the truth? So now every category has five 
because yeah. it was only up until recently where like animated feature and original song they were fixed between like two to five before there was no real number yeah well, now everything is set at five now the ultimate question is can we just make everything a round number and just make best picture 10 at this point please yeah <laughs> or maybe that's asking for too much right <laughs> uh we'll have to wait and see what happens there but no very 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 happy about this change this has definitely been a long time coming uh another change that also uh was implemented uh michael i'd like for you to talk about this one uh, tell everyone what was going on with what is now formally called Best Foreign Language Film. Yes, I believe it's now called uh, International Film, Best International Film. Mm-hmm. Because as we saw at the Oscars this past year, when Alfonso Cuaron was accepting the Oscar for what was then called Foreign Film for Roma, he said, I grew up watching foreign films such as Jaws and Star Wars. Uh, or I think he said Star Wars. Just for him living in Mexico, his definition of a foreign language film was what we in America considered, you know, English language titles, you know. So it was, I think, a real eye-opener for the Academy to say, this is a global enterprise here, and we should be able to apply the same rules, but just change the name of the categories to say these are international films because what we consider a foreign film is not what people over in Europe might consider a foreign film. And let's also clarify, too, that this does not mean that films such as The Favorite are going to contend in oh, this category. So yeah, right. even a movie that. like that one a couple years ago, Menasha, the Yiddish film, that still wouldn't qualify because that's an American production that happens to be in Yiddish. Right. This year, The Farewell, which I think parts of it are in uh, Chinese. It's like 90% in uh, Mandarin. Okay, Mandarin, that's okay. But yeah, no, the point still stands, though, that uh, you're not going to have those kinds of nominations still. They still have to be uh, a foreign language I think it, well, what was the percentage? It has to be over a certain uh, percentage, if I remember correctly, of the film has to be in a foreign language in order to qualify. I think it's like 70%. I think it's something like that, but it still has to be an uh, uh, international production. It can't be Correct. a movie. Like a couple years ago, or actually not a couple years ago, more like I think 13 years ago, uh, The Band's Visit, when that was a movie, that was an Israeli film, but it did not, it did not qualify for the foreign language Oscar because most of it was in English. But the reason it was in English was because since it's a movie about Israelis and Palestinians, that's the common language that they shared. Mm-hmm. So, so it made sense to the narrative. Does anyone else feel that they ought to relax the requirement on these that only one film per country could be submitted? I think that's yes. the next big rule change yeah. that should happen. Yeah. Like, there, there's like, you know, there's two or three worthy, not, there's more than that, but like, there's two or three usually notable uh, French films every year, for example. And yeah, or like stuff a couple only... years ago with like The Handmaiden not being like the qualified one. Exactly. When, even though that was the bigger Korean film that year. I think the um, only reason why I would be a little hesitant about that change would be because then we would lack maybe a bit of variety in the category if a country did get more than one film nominated. I would feel somewhat deprived yeah but as long as they have the committee made up as it is you know like they already have atypical tastes they're probably going to guarantee us pretty eclectic picks regardless like it's not like you open it up to the full voting body and they do what they're doing with animated film where they only pick the most widely seen films i mean i i think those safeguards would still be in place to make sure the nominees are interesting okay that's fair uh casey lee clark Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Tell the listeners what is going on with Netflix and the Oscars. Um, everything still seems the same, I guess. Um, there's no, there's no rules. There's no, <laughs> no Netflix. They're considered movies. That's that's what it means. <laughs> In your face, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no. not. I'm not taking that stance. I'm just saying I'm just playing. Um, bottom line is that from what I understand, Steven Spielberg was actually not at the meeting from what I from what I've heard. And yeah, all this talk that we had over these last couple of weeks about will Netflix still be in contention at the Oscars the way they have been now for the last uh, few years. That is no longer a issue until it becomes an issue again. They have ruled that everything is going to remain exactly as it is. And as a result. Uh, now we can have certain films like the Noah Baumbach movie, The Irishman, and a slew of others that Netflix is planning to give major awards campaigns to this year. 
in contention. Can we also just say those reports mention just as people said a couple weeks ago and no one wanted to believe it because we all like having a villain that it sounds like Spielberg was kind of misrepresented throughout this. Oh, I would believe it. 100%. Yeah. You know, it it sounds like he was more angry at the distributors for not finding a compromise than anything else. And uh, I'm not going to say we all owe Spielberg an apology, but it doesn't sound like he even had an anti-Netflix or anti-streaming bias the way it's been portrayed. I think people have really twisted it, honestly. I, I really think the media took that story and ran away with it. Yeah, so, you know, we all the in-your-face Steven Spielberg, I don't think he wanted that anyway, but... No, no, no. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely just kidding when I say it like that. I mean, wasn't it Jeffrey Katzenberger who um, spoke on behalf of him, essentially, and said... Yeah, he tried to tell us, and everyone's like, oh, why didn't Steven say that three days ago unless, unless he did meet it? It's like... Because he doesn't use social media, and he was trying to think of a... <laughs> and he's Steven Spielberg and doesn't need to. I mean, his reputation is going to be just fine outside of the Twitter bubble. Um, so. Other Academy change thing. Uh, for the score shortlists, they're keeping those. You know, we had those score and song shortlists this year. Yeah. I did, too. Uh, you're going to have... Uh, Film Music Reporter on Twitter pointed out that you're going to have to have your film submitted for consideration by November 16th to be in score and song consideration, which he's raised the question of, you know, a lot of people are like, oh man, could John Williams win this year because it's his last Star Wars score, he's probably going to bring it home, that, you know, they keep those films close to their chest until the bitter end, usually until December. Uh, If the cutoff's November 16th, and that and anything that's trying to pull like a, the Revenant and get in at the last minute um, may not be eligible for score consideration this year. Some scores do John get written at the last minute. They don't like I've, I've heard stories about scores being done uh, just a few weeks before the well, film's actual Rogue release. One, another Star Wars movie. I mean, yeah. Alexander uh, uh, Michael Giacchino came on, started scoring it in like October 2016 before the film was released in December. The point being, you know, that rigid early deadline may knock out some interesting last minute scores, not just John Williams. I want to just say as an aside, it got shortlisted uh, last year, and that's the Avengers Infinity War score. Obviously, it didn't get an Oscar nomination, but Alan Silvestri's score for Avengers Endgame is really, really good. I just want to throw that out. Yeah, I've been jamming to it for uh, the last couple of days. It's well, really lovely. Of Endgame, I have some news. Oh, box office news? Oh. It just broke. I have box office report that will likely change by tomorrow, but we have the uh, initial reports from domestic box office and worldwide box office. And hold on to your seats here because this is just nuts. You ready? I'm ready. Domestic box office, Friday through Sunday for Avengers Endgame, $350 million. Oh my god. Worldwide box office. Oh my god. Worldwide box office. Friday through Sunday. 1.2 billion. Oh Oh my my dear god. Do you remember like back when it was mind blowing whenever a film could break a hundred million opening weekend? Spider-Man was the first in 2002, and that was such a huge deal coming off Harry Potter, which did like 90 million, I think. Yeah, and then when uh, you know, when the Dark Knight came out and it did like 180 million opening weekend, people were like, "Holy shit!" And like now, it's just like, ah, that's... but here's the crazy part: Dark Knight by the end of next week will no longer be one of the ten highest grossing films domestically. Wow! Wow, that wow. is crazy. We're entering into a new era. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, just last year it was sort of quiet when it happened, but Incredibles two made more money than the Dark Knight. Remember when crossing just $1 billion was considered such a monumental, you know what I mean? And now it feels like so many films do it. I think we're going to have to start increasing our expectations for uh, the $2 billion mark. Sure. <laughs> and what's really incredible about all this, they're saying like if Endgame performs the way that Infinity War did with the same legs, it could possibly hit a billion domestically. At the same time, there are people out there, and I happen to agree with this prediction, there are a lot of people who think as much money as Endgame is making right now, and it may very well become the highest grossing film of all time for a period, 
I don't think it's even going to be the highest grossing domestic film of the year. Oh, you still think that's going to go to Lion King? I think Lion King is going to give it a real run for its money. Potentially. Uh, this leads into a couple of different uh, fan questions that we actually received here that I want to ask. Um, so James Scott, at, at James Robert Scott on Twitter, asked, Given the record is already broken, will Endgame break Avatar's box office record as the highest grossing film ever worldwide? Yes. It's looking like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for one thing, so many people are so driven to see it just because of the whole like spoilers thing. Like it's you crazy didn't to even me. See Infinity War seeing it. Oh yeah, yeah, me. <laughs> I think also too that the ending to Infinity War had something to do with that because it was a cliffhanger ending, and now people are very just curious to see how it all, you know, culminates. And not just that too, but when I say culminates, it's also the culmination of not just that story, but this. 22 movie arc that started back in 2008 so there is this kind of like great deal of importance behind it where if you're not involved with it to a certain degree it's kind of like you're missing out i guess on what the rest of the world happens to be talking about and then on top of that you also have a barren box office wasteland right now where nothing came out pretty much last week. Uh, next week is not looking, you know, to be that big. The, the, two weeks ago, you had Hellboy as the week's biggest release, for goodness sake. You know, it's like people were definitely uh, clamoring for something. And, and you know, granted, the movie studios probably cleared the path for Avengers Endgame because they just didn't want to get in its way, and I don't blame them. It's going to have two or three weeks to itself, and then I think Detective Pikachu might take over, but... This is beyond anything that I think any of us could have ever comprehended. I remember... Uh, thinking to myself that I wasn't even sure if it was going to do better than Infinity Wars numbers because of the three-hour runtime and the amount of times they could show it during the day. But I want to just give a shout-out to anyone that listens to this that works in a movie theater. You guys are the real heroes of this weekend. Yeah. For yep. some theater chains staying open 72 hours straight with oh, no downtime. God. The most theaters worldwide uh, for a release, I mean... This is just you're no work. Uh, my hat's off to everyone. As someone who used to work in a movie theater when I was 16, 17 years old, I know how difficult it can be. I actually worked in a movie theater when The Dark Knight was in theaters, and I I used to think that that was like the most insane thing. I can't even imagine what these theater chains must be going through this weekend. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, preserving a, a great cinematic experience for all of us because i tell you anyone that watches avengers endgame whether you love the mcu don't like it there's no denying that it is such a monumental cinematic achievement it's just incredible what's happened here i never thought we would see the day where a movie came close to 300 million dollars domestic opening weekend not only does it pass 300 but get to 350 that's that's it is beyond uh now the question now here's another question we received though and this is a very interesting question Lindy, or Lindy Erickson, on Twitter asks us, Gone with the Wind still holds the highest box office record ever adjusted for inflation. Will anything ever beat it? No. No. Because people don't all go to the movies like they used to anymore. I mean, as long as we have TV and streaming to compete, you know, like Gone with the Wind benefited from zero competition and the fact it was in the middle of the Great Depression when people went to the movies and did nothing else. Because, you know, how else do you cope with the horrible environment you're in? I mean, like, so many factors are at play. And unless we suddenly lose the ability to have TV and streaming, it's not going to happen. Adjusted for inflation, Gone with the Wind, if it came out today, would have made $1.8 billion domestically. Now, records are made to be broken, right? I don't think... I, I, I don't know about you guys. I think Avengers will hit a billion domestically. I think that's very possible. But this is $1.8 billion we're talking about, not like $1.1, which I think right. Avengers could top out at. Right. And isn't, uh, does, like, world, what did, what did Gone with the Wind have worldwide? I mean, just off the chain adjusted for inflation. Worldwide before inflation, it's $402 million. So Right, so adjust that bad boy for inflation, and we got hmm. some serious numbers since 1939. I mean, Gone with just the domestically, the first- it's 200 so 1.8 times 2, pretty much. It was one of the first films made in color. Like, I feel like it's hard to ignore that part of it, if that makes sense. Like, it was such a f- huge 
technical change that I think that it, that would be hard to ever match again to drive people to something for something like that, if that makes sense. You're talking about 3.6 billion worldwide. Or you're going with the wind. Something's going to get there one day, I think. I don't think it's a never situation. I really don't. Yeah. Because you got to imagine, especially Disney, they're going to be driven, absolutely driven to try to top themselves every single year because that's what you just do in business. We'll see. The Gone with the Wind would be 3.6 billion. Right now, Avatar holds worldwide record at 2.7 billion. Yeah, but Matt, you know, the goal, the, the, Goalpost is going to keep getting moved for Gone with the Wind because, okay, we will have a film in 10 years that'll gross an insane amount of money for Disney. But then again, we'll have to readjust for inflation. And all of a sudden, Gone with Wind's 3.6 will be 5.2. And, you know, it's just going to keep, you know. How long do we have before we destroy the environment? I mean, <laughs> well, let me tell you, if Disney keeps doing what it is that they're doing, I mean, you all had you all read the reports about Disney possibly sucking up Hulu this week, right? I've been warning you guys about that for weeks. But what I'm getting at, though, is that if Disney keeps on monopolizing the industry, I have a feeling that at some point ticket prices are going to go up dramatically. I'm not talking like a small increase. I'm talking a dramatic increase. And we're going to probably be living in a society where we're still willing to pay whatever it costs to go see uh, Avengers 28 or whatever it is. Well, that's what Spielberg predicted like five years ago, where he said that there's only going to be, you know, like a handful of films a year. And it's going to be like going to the opera. You'll put on a, you know, you'll dress up nice. You'll pay 60 bucks to see it. It'll be an event when you go out because almost everything else is streamed. And I 100% still stand by him that that's what's going to happen. We're going to have like 10 films a year released theatrically and the rest is streamed. But don't you feel like if, if that's the way it goes, you don't think that then something could ever be gone with the wind? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, maybe in terms of like just sheer numbers, but in terms of actual tickets sold, no. Yeah. Okay. Maybe the eventual Iron Man Simba Skywalker crossover. Jesus. Yeah, does uh does this mean that uh Offred is a Disney princess? <laughs> I hope not. Man, could you imagine like a Disney version of the Handmaid's Tale? I want someone to make a YouTube of cut edited version of that. <laughs> and Lydia gets her own villain song. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I am concerned that they're either going to gut hulu's daring nature or more likely it will you know like michael you mentioned this and i get to take credit for mentioning this before in the group chat when everyone called me will stradamus uh but <laughs> they'll eventually just fold it into disney plus which is smart yeah, it's smart for them, but in terms of not having a monopoly and having a multitude of creative voices, it's depressing. As long as they keep the Seinfeld and Golden Girls reruns, I'm good. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I mean, we all know as sane individuals that competition uh, will typically bring out the best in people and will strive people to push harder, to think bigger, think more innovatively. If you're taking all the competition out and just sucking them dry, then I, I don't understand. You know, I feel like that's when the movie industry will just become so like, we think it's formulaic now it'll become so complacent to the point that I don't even think that movie making will even be perceived anymore as art. Yeah. Thank God for the streaming services. I mean, like Disney is the antithesis of innovation, at least from a storytelling standpoint. So, uh, I, you know, my predictions about that happening don't seem so far-fetched. Uh, the problem, and the problem is the other studios, yeah, the way they're going to compete is they're going to try to be Disney. I mean, we're going to, again, probably see, okay, let's see how we can make a cinematic universe work if we just kind of build slowly towards it. Because everyone wants to have some of that sweet, sweet Avengers money, and maybe they learn from their mistakes. Nobody wants to put in the real effort, though. They just want to try to copy and get a quick buck. And that's where you end up with the universal dark universe. <laughs> so right. it, like this whole thing, even if you don't care about the story of the Avengers, just understanding how Kevin Foggy planned this thing over the course of 11 years. And it was meticulously 
you know, executed. It's just really incredible to see the results pay off and know all the work that went into making it happen. I'll bang the drum for this all year if I have to. I think that Kevin Feige deserves an honorary Oscar. I mean, he's not done, so they'll probably give him one one of these days. I mean, he's probably going to try to, you know, to build to an equally massive conclusion in another 10 years, you know, when like Brie Larson is finally moving on. So... And the thing with Kevin Feige is he's not like a comics guy at heart. He's a producer. He's a film industry Hollywood guy who just saw the potential in these comics. No, the re- no, no, no. He had no film background. He was like the he was the PA on the X-Men movies because he knew a stupid amount of Marvel trivia. And they kept bringing him on to Marvel films because he knew everything about Marvel and then when it came time for Iron Man, he actually got a full producer credit. Like, the dude lived and breathed comics and was waiting for his opportunity to do this. Okay, then I must have heard the wrong story from somebody, but uh, forget that, everyone. This <laughs> topic of conversation came up on our Avengers Endgame review. So Nicole and I are going to maybe take a backseat on this one. But I'll ask the three of you, Casey, Michael, and Will, because you three were not on the review. And we went into this pretty extensively. Could Avengers Endgame receive a Best Picture nomination? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think that I think we we might get teased with like PGA, but I don't think it'll actually happen. I think Just, PGA is a good call. PGA, sure, but it's you know ultimately in this case, you know, getting a nomination is all about momentum, and it doesn't have the you know the the social relevance factor of a Black Panther to maintain that kind of awards momentum, um, at least from like, you know, it's, it's, it's not progressive per se. It's just an exciting blockbuster and we're going to have 10 more exciting acclaimed blockbusters between now and nomination day. You know, we're going to have the Lion King, we're going to have a final star Wars and they're all going to make a lot of money and people are all going to get caught up with them. And ultimately, you know, it's like nine months until all that happens and people are already going to be thinking about the next Marvel film. So, no, I mean, it'll it'll get for VFX, maybe score and, you know, maybe some of the critics groups or the Golden Globes will go for a cast member or two here. Maybe SAG Ensemble. SAG Ensemble would be so cool. Yeah. It'd be cool. But ultimately. considering it's every single actor in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I do want to point out that Ryan McQuaid brought up during the podcast that actually did make me think about this maybe a little bit more optimistically, though, was the fact that when you talk about the momentum aspect, Will, uh, Ryan argued that it's potentially possible (laughs) that if Avengers Endgame does defeat Avatar as the highest grossing movie of all time, which will surely take a little bit of time, a few months maybe. Uh, to get there, but if it does get there, that could give it the momentum it needs to stay in the conversation for a little bit longer, and it might enter into that too big to ignore category that we've seen with um, high-grossing box office films that have the critical reception and then also have the pop culture phenomenon uh, aspect tied to it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's all possible. It's not, I'm not ruling it out. That, and that's where I'm at. I mean, like, I'm not going to predict it, but I'm not ruling it out because a lot of things do need to happen. We also have to remember that we're in April, of course. <laughs> but I argue that the biggest hurdle that Avengers Endgame has to overcome is it needs to convert the Michael Schwartz of the world. And that's why I don't think yeah. it's going to be the Black Panther where people were going to see that who had never seen a Marvel movie. I mean, my grandfather saw Black Panther because it was such a thing and you didn't know need that knowledge of previous movies to go and, and enjoy it right so if you have members of the academy who are not already on board with what kevin feige and marvel have been doing this is not in my opinion a quote-unquote standalone film that you can just watch on its own you really do need to have prior knowledge of the other movies to fully get the emotional impact of what this movie is doing and let's remember this is the same academy that didn't even give infinity war a win for visual effects right when it gets uh, a popular vote. How what? Oh, no, but just because you were so you were banging the drum on that, being like, it's going to happen. It objectively deserved it. I mean, I'm happy First Man won still, though. I'm really happy First Man got some form of recognition. Believe me. That was like one of those, 
I don't care if this goes like from a subjective standpoint, I don't care if this goes either way, you know, but objectively speaking, Infinity War had the best visual effects. I mean, that is- I don't think this is, you know, I, I also don't think they're going to have a chance to to give this a win for VFX this year. You oh, know, I don't think so either. No, There's too many other big competitors. And it, it doesn't do anything new the way they did with Thanos. The Hulk, the Hulk thing is, you know, definitely different, but it's yeah, I agree that it's not drastic. I still think Irishman, Lion King are definitely way ahead of this. And the cats. film we're going to discuss in our trailer. Cats, uh, cats yeah. definitely. I've seen the VFX. I've seen some of the VFX work. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be a contender. And that is actually a really good transition there um, to talk about actually our trailer for this week, actually, which does uh, promote some heavy visual effects work from Ang Lee, who we all know from movies such as Life of Pi, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain. The guy is definitely a household name here. He is working with Will Smith and Will Smith for Gemini Man. Let's check out the trailer for this one. Tell me something. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? He knew every move of mine before I made it. I'd have him right there to take the shot. I want to and he'd be gone like a ghost. Do you really want to live forever? Who is he? Do you really want to live forever? I think I know why he's as good as you. He is you. 25 years ago, they made you from me. They chose me because there's never been anybody like me. We have to end this right now. You have all of his gifts without his pain. You made a person out of another person. Then you sent me to kill him. You made a choice to do this to me. This thing that you're struggling with is fear. Embrace it and then overcome it. Of all the people in the world to come after me, why would he send you? Okay, do you guys remember when I just mentioned Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain, and Life of Pi. I am not going to lump Gemini Man in the same sentence as those three movies anytime soon. No. <laughs> oh my God! What is Ang Lee doing? Can somebody help me out here? He's he's getting George Lucas slash Peter Jackson. Apparently, on uh, when they were prepping for Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, they kept being like, "Ang, do you want to look at the script? Do you want to give us notes?" And he would say, "No, I want to go check out the tech." And it seems like, again, he's just fascinated by the possibilities of the tech here. So he picks a script that's been floating around since like 1996. That's why it looks like a 90s action movie. And it's, you know, they keep trying to get it made, but it's never good enough for anyone to pull the trigger. It has like eight credited writers, both good and bad on it. Yeah. I mean, it does not seem like the kind of screenplay that an auteur would be like, yes. I want this to be my next interesting film. I think he just thinks, oh, wouldn't it be cool to try the 120 FPS thing again? No, because it looks so awful. I, <laughs> I'm sure Lynn. he thinks he's found a way to perfect it. No, not based on this trailer. I think it looks ugly as hell. I, I agree it that pretty it does good. not look good, but uh, I'm sure he's hoping it will and he wanted to try again. I honestly did think the D.H. Will Smith kind of looked kind of creepy, too. You know, a lot of people are like... Especially when he talked. Yeah, when he talks, it's like... Ugh. Oh, 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 you don't like it. I actually no, thought it it's looked creepy. pretty cool. No, I, I like the two, Matt. Yeah, I, I just didn't like the actual... The, 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 the color palette, uh, the lighting, um, the way the actors look against the backgrounds. Like, it just looked very soap opera uh, soap opera to me. Yeah, I just, I'm not, these types of movies don't really gravitate towards me personally. So I was just like, I got nothing from this. And it felt like things that I'd like seen before, personally. It was one of those things where I kind of felt like I had wasted two minutes watching the trailer. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I say this that is not the type. I like some Ang Lee movies, but this is not something that I feel like I would ever want to dedicate several hours of my life to. This doesn't even seem like it's Ang Lee. It feels like it's a totally different director. I mean, this is what this is. This is basically Hulk Ang Lee territory, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we all remember how that but went. But at the same time, it's still Ang Lee, and I still want to see anything he's doing, even if it's just an excuse to play with the technology. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're all going to see it. You know, let's not kid ourselves here because it's Ang Lee, but I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> no. It's got an October release date, which suggests that they're going to push it for some form of awards consideration, but... Okay, and Billy Lynn had a November release date. Yeah, exactly. Let's 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 keep on track here with the track record and see where this is going. I mean, I think this is heading into uh, disaster territory for mostly everyone involved. I mean, you know, they're talking about how this is going to be Will Smith's comeback year with this and Aladdin, but those both could go very badly. Yeah, Yeah, I think that it's going to only sink his career maybe a little bit more, which is unfortunate. Will Smith is one of the most charismatic and charming individuals in Hollywood and everybody really likes him. And they want to see him do well, but the last couple of years, I mean, look, look at look at this from from just you know Suicide Squad, Collateral Beauty, Bright, then you know two year gap, and he's coming back with Aladdin and Gemini Man. Yeah, he needs a new agent, man. Like he he basically since Hancock, really, he hasn't had a true hit, and. Uh, First, we credit it just to he wants to give his kids a time in the sun, but now it just he's continually choosing bad projects. Yeah, it's him because he's such a yeah. charismatic guy. You know what movie's going to revive his career? Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> Did you read the story this past week about uh, the writer of, uh, of Bad Boys hated the movie The Danish Girl so much that they like built a poster just to explode when they were doing a scene? I did see what? That, yeah. It was ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. No, that's legit. Wow. If, you, if you Google that, that's real. It's so stupid. Anyone else have anything to say about Gemini Man before we move on? Yeah, I'll Matt. I'll their opening weekend to see what this is. Cats VFX have a better chance than this. It's state of the art, man. So let me, let me ask you this about Cats, Will. What would you equate it to? Avatar. You're kidding me. It's, uh... It, He's literally... been telling you this for months, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it, um... You know, it's it's this insane mocap technology where, like, if you uh, you like run your hand by your ear, they're having real time rendering into the camera where it shows that person as a cat and like their ear crumples under the pressure of what a hand would apply. I mean, like, it's insane. They've turned them into like avatar type cats. Who would have thought that Tom Hooper would be a visual effects director? <laughs> They're not going to be like cleaning themselves, are they? Like you're not going to be like yeah, CGI Judy Dench. I mean, <laughs> the last time I remember Tom Hooper using visual effects was with those funky camera angles in Les Mis, because <laughs> there's no way that that was done practically, right? There's no way to go on. Flat. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that movie. His greatest visual effects was making us believe that Alicia Vikander was Oscar worthy in The Danish Girl, or that, he, or, that he, or that he held an Oscar in his hands that belonged to David Fincher. You you take your pick. I will say, Vikander really did her best there in, with a pretty thankless script. I mean, like, she was having a good year, and I didn't begrudge her winning an Oscar. I just wish it for, were for a better movie. <laughs> Ex Machina. Yeah, I mean, she should have. Yeah, Ex Machina would have been great. But, like, it's a lead role, but it's it's a pretty solid performance given the material she's working with. Yeah, I don't fault her too much. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. 
Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. Works. That's just how <laughs> it works. Transitioning over to the polls really quick and going back to Avengers Endgame because my transitions uh, failed me a little bit with that. <laughs> um, we asked everyone, which is your favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? We told everyone they could pick up to five films in the MCU. There's a lot of films here, 22 of them in total. Avengers Endgame was also amongst uh, the picks here. And we do have a top 10. Ooh. We received over 1,500 votes for this oh. poll. Wow. So in 10th place with 60 votes is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. No, no reaction. Okay. In ninth <laughs> place is... Spider-Man Homecoming with 79 votes. Yes! (laughs) My sweet baby. (laughs) In eighth place with 135 votes is Black Panther. Oh, it should have been higher. Are you kidding? That's number one. Well, let me me also put it to you this way, too. A lot of these are very, very close. So we go from 135 in, in this case, eighth place to the seventh place film, which got 142. So a difference of seven votes. Uh, is the first Avengers film. Hmm. And then in sixth place, with 146 votes, only four votes more, is Captain America Civil War. Heck yeah. Okay, then in fifth place, with 153 votes, is the original Guardians of the Galaxy. With two votes more, in fourth place, with 155 votes, is Thor Ragnarok. Yes! In third place, with four votes more than Thor Ragnarok. And this really, really surprised me, actually. Avengers Endgame. Oh. With 159 votes. Okay. And then, second and first place, a difference of one vote. 186 to 185. In second place is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yes. And in first place is Avengers Infinity War. The first Iron Man isn't anywhere in the top 10 because that's garbage. Like that, that is one of the best Marvel movies, hands down. It was right below Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Also, I just want to say, um, I think Infinity War is like the third worst movie Marvel's done. Just horrendous. I cannot agree with that at all. Yeah, I know. I know you, you referred to it as quote unquote best Marvel movie ever last year. I still have the text. I truly hate that film. If I could hunt down every copy in existence, just like Boyhood and Burnham, I would. <laughs> but then Avengers Endgame wouldn't make any sense, Will. That's fine. How could you cut out some of my son's best acting? <laughs> yeah, suddenly I don't feel so good, yeah. Mr. Mavity. <laughs> okay, now for this week's poll, we're asking everyone which is their favorite romantic comedy starring Seth Rogen. A smaller list of films here. Uh, but the choices are The 40-Year-Old Virgin, 50-50, Knocked Up, Long Shot, which a lot of people actually have already seen, uh, Take This Waltz, and Zach and Mary Make a Porno. 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, you listen 50-50 as a rom-com? Yeah. I guess it is, yeah. I have yeah, to say that. 50-50 like, is a really good movie, but yeah, I, think, it's a great uh, movie. I, I prefer 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up. Yeah, as a Seth Rogen movie, I'd go with Knocked Up, but I feel like if we're, as a whole, probably 40-Year-Old Virgin. I'm not going to vote on this until I see uh, Long Shot tomorrow. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. I would say 50-50 for now. Yeah, same. Very cool. Head on over to the polls page of nextbestpicture.com and vote on that. And now to close out uh, this week's episode here, we do have some other lingering fan questions that I do want to uh, answer here on the show. So sticking with Avengers Endgame here for a brief second. Josh Blumenkrantz asks us, do you think Endgame will win visual effects or nope. as a do-over for Infinity War or will it lose like it did last year? We already answered that, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty definitive it's going to lose. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Ethan May at Movie Fanatic 200 asks, is Ed Astra still coming out? <laughs> no one knows. At some point. Uh, I heard that it will yes. be premiering most likely at Venice at the earliest. 
I mean, like, they've already shot it, so, and they're doing reshoots. I mean, it's not like they're going to just, like, drop it entirely, but it's certainly not going to make its May release date. Uh, Ronnie Howlett 3, do you think Joker could pull off an Oscar nomination not only for Phoenix, but for Robert De Niro as well? Mm, I don't think so. I'm going to go with a no on that one. I'm going to say no for now. Yeah, I, I think if De Niro had something, I think we would have seen a clip of it potentially in the trailer. But then again, if they release a second trailer and they show more of his performance, uh, my voice might change on that. For now, it just looks like Joaquin Phoenix's show and everybody else is just, you know, playing a role in it. I'm so yeah. interested in seeing that movie. Me too. Yeah, it's an enigma. I don't really know what to make of it yet. I mean, if it gets absolutely horrible reviews, then, you know it'll be pretty easy to write off. But if it does really well, that's going to be very interesting to see how far that goes. That, that Mark Maron is like eager to see this movie that he has a scene in, and he's really not a fan of the comic book superhero genre. Like That really makes me excited to see what's going on. Yeah, it sounds like his name should be Michael Schwartz instead. <laughs> All right. And then Eric, Eric Bogle, 1982, asks... Does Quentin Tarantino's name hold the same weight it once used to 15 years ago? No, but it's still a draw. I mean, like, there's definitely backlash against him for being very self-indulgent, for using the N-word so much, for cultural appropriation, especially with Asian cinema and Asian culture. But, you know, like, a lot of people, like, any, like, college film major is probably like, yeah, I love Quentin Tarantino. And, you know, people will still go to see his movies like they would a Martin Scorsese movie just because of who he is. Has anybody checked out uh, his new version of The Hateful Eight on Netflix and how it's divided into four parts? (sighs) I don't really want to revisit that film. I saw the movie twice in theaters, and now I'm wondering why I did that. I've got got good news. We we will be revisiting that film in August, actually, uh, for our 2015 retrospective. I actually like that film, so I'm looking forward to that. I just is that something I want to sit through again? No, it's so self indulgent. I just don't like the reinforcement of dialogue in it. That's the one thing that really annoys me uh, when they're like sitting at a table and he's like, Abe Lincoln, yes. The Abraham Lincoln, yes, <laughs> the president of the United States. Oh, I I'm like, thought dude, that was kind of funny. I thought that worked. I don't know. I just feel like he does that a lot, where characters just reiterate dialogue back and forth to one another too much, and it just—I don't know. That was a movie that could have really need that could have really used a trim, in my opinion. But yeah, it's, I I think this is going to be a big test to see if Tarantino can work without Sally Menke, because. Already, some people didn't like some of the editing in Django and felt like it. Oh, I didn't. You know, they felt like it ran too long. And this definitely ran too long. So, you know, we're going to see if he's still a great filmmaker without his editor, who was always such an integral part of his voice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Django's entertaining as hell. But once they get rid of uh, Calvin Candy and then they go into the Australian plot. Yeah, for- that whole third act. <laughs> yeah. Like- why do we need this? It was so unusual to me. Um, I, I do like the Samuel L. Jackson bit at the end, though, and the revenge that he takes on him and the grander message behind that. Yeah. Uh, but that just that that bit and that gratuitous cameo that he has. Oh, oh. I, I could do without the cameo, but I think Django is the second best movie. No, Bastards. Yeah, it, That's honestly, three. it's ba- it's Bastards and Pulp Fiction at the top for sure. Yeah, I'd say Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction, Django, Bastards, but they're all they're all great. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, we'll have plenty more to talk about with, when it regards to him, especially if um, I, I want to know this too. Uh, is there still a chance that he could potentially finish Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in time for Can? I think it's going to show up because DiCaprio was all set to go, and apparently they're just waiting for him to give like the thumbs up or thumbs down of confidence. And it's not going to go in competition. I, I think we all know that. Yeah. But they're just going to wait until maybe like a week before the festival to make it clear. I, I think if they weren't doing it, they wouldn't have given us as many hints as they have already. Oh, I don't want to set myself up for disappointment with that, but I will say that it, it. I will say this in regards to him still being a name. While I agree that he has faced significant amount of backlash, as Will pointed out earlier, 
let's also not forget the story uh, that came out when um, Uma Thurman discussed uh, what had happened to her on the set of Kill Bill and, you know, how his name got dragged into that as well. I mean, the guy has come under pretty heavy fire in recent years, but yet when that trailer dropped for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you have the star power of Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, come on. I think that movie's going to make a boatload of money. You yeah, think so? I mean, with that cast, probably will unless it sucks. I don't. I don't know if Tarantino's that kind of a box office draw in that regard, though. Like, what are you thinking? Like, crosses over two hundred million domestically? No, no, no. I'm talking like 130, 140. Yeah, uh, I would say like American Hustle numbers because that was another one that was like all about the cast. Oh, okay. See, I, I'm I'm thinking like large, large numbers. Now, this this <laughs> yeah. is the effect of Disney. Like, if you're not making over 200 no. million, you're worthless piece of shit. <laughs> Mid-level numbers. Mid-level big numbers. I don't think Tarantino is the draw to it either. I think the draw is Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, hey, it Justice for Margot Robbie. There is an audience that is going solely for Tarantino. Like, don't underestimate. Yeah, I think I think Nicole makes a point of that for the casual viewer. Yeah. Right, uh, the stars are going to draw Every people part, in. Totally. Yeah. It all depends on who you're talking about for that. Well, it'll be interesting to see. And if it doesn't go to Ken, we're going to see it shortly after. All right. Uh, Will, do you have anything else to add before we go today? Or Yeah, Ben Affleck is going to direct a World War II movie, which is firmly in his wheelhouse, and I think hoping to... You know, those seem to be pretty good, safe bets. Yeah, I was going to say, do, do you ever feel like uh, that tends to happen a lot with a lot of... A lot of different directors tend to go towards a, a war film if they want to try to like reclaim some sort of critical you know backing again <laughs> well he he's been trying to make a war film for a minute too he was gonna do one about the battle of bunker hill and then live by night happened and people are like huh i don't know if i trust you ben and um yeah so you know hopefully with all the dc nonsense behind him and stuff he can uh focus on refining his voice and being a good filmmaker again i hope so because live by night was just so it it, it just didn't feel like it was made remember the same guy trailer dropped you're like honestly i think we're underestimating this one for oh you know. i definitely remember that trailer <laughs> was so well constructed <laughs> that was a bomb ass trailer i'll never forget that i'm like yo robert richardson is involved with this you got william goldberg editing you got harry greginson williams come on you know um it looks like, you know, we got the full cast announced for the new Bond movie. And we have, like, Billy Magnuson, Anna de Armas from Blade Runner joining the cast. And uh, he's getting, like, all of Damien Trezell's people on board. Um, Lena Sandgren is shooting. Tom Cross is editing. Uh, we don't know who's composing, but fingers crossed that it's going to be Hurwitz. Can you that imagine? So awesome. Oh, oh my yes. God. And his style, I think, is well suited to Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be so good. Ugh. Another thing, too, I want to point out about that was when they announced Rami Malik. I really, really badly wanted uh, somebody to like repost a video clip of him like creepily staring into the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Well, somebody put the music from us behind him doing the, I like pasta. You know, that whole video he did? And it, uh, it's so unsettling. Uh, I mean, he has to play a villain, right? He has to play some sort of... Uh, no, no, he is the villain. Oh, that's good. That's good. He's got those crazy eyes, man. Yeah. He's like, well, I mean, he reminds me a lot of uh, Matthew Almerick. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good call. Out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, and he was a Bond villain too, so hopefully he's better than that. But all right, anything else? Nah. Okay, Michael. Anything else? I think I covered it. Nicole. I I feel like I have said everything that I could say <laughs> after <laughs> after yesterday's like two and a half hours of recording. Casey, <laughs> I'm all good. Yeah. All right. I just want to say a uh, quick prayer for House Stark this evening on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think I'm going to have like a new like theme song composed will for our podcast and it's going to be just you doing the guitar for the song. <laughs> oh yeah. Well my favorite is like make it sound like someone's like a little bit off key like you know like like those videos of like somebody playing my heart will go on in the recorder and it's like now you guys got me thinking of the 20th century fox yes 
go uh, listen to the. It's just look up orchestra fail later. And this goes to all of our listeners. This there's no video on YouTube that makes me laugh as much as this orchestra fail. It's a bad orchestra attempting to play the 2001: A Space Odyssey. You'll cry. I guarantee you laughing. So everyone go listen to that. I'm going to go do that right now instead of edit this episode. All right. Let's go. Uh, Will, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on YouTube at Orchestra Fail. <laughs> find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Uh, Michael? On Twitter at MSchwartz95. Nicole? I am on pretty much everything at Nicole Ackman 16. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me everywhere at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 140 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment. We're trying to hit 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're at 129. So we need you to go on there and we need you to rate us. Please, that would be so awesome if you can. And then if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us, including our 2015 retrospective, which is ongoing, as well as our dive into Game of Thrones Season 8, Next Best Theater, and a bunch of other content as well. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Okay, I put the link in here. Everyone listen to it. It's like 15 seconds. <laughs> I want to hear reactions. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.